You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing cutting-edge energy management software for battery optimisation, virtual power plants and distributed energy resources. And Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, along with the sister sites One Step Off the Grid and the EV-focused The Driven. And joining me as usual is ITK Principal David Leach. David, I, uh, I trust you are well. Giles, I'm well in what's uh, shaping up, I hope, to be busy times. And we've got a great interview today with one of, if not the leading renewable developer in Australia. We do indeed, and uh, that's a prompt to introduce uh, Louis de Sambussy, the CEO or the Managing Director of NeoN in Australia. Uh, Louis, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Giles. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, look, um, as David mentioned, I don't think there's much doubt that NeoN has been um, the most successful uh, renewable energy and storage developer, we should also point out, in Australia. Um, a whole list of achievements. and. You're building a lot of projects at the moment. We'll probably go into them later in the podcast in detail. I think we've got the Caban project in Queensland, the Wind project. We've got the Western Down Solar project, which is uh, the biggest solar farm in Australia. Maybe challenged with that title soon. Uh, you've got the Capital Battery in uh, Canberra. Uh, you've got the Goida South Wind Farm in South Australia and other projects such as the Blythe Battery and um, other ones also in the pipeline. I think a, a battery at uh, Western Downs as well. What we have seen in the last, say, six months, 12 months, is a lot of big players entering the Australian market, like really big international energy players. I mean, some of them attracted to the offshore wind prospects of Victoria, but others are very keen to play a role more generally in Australia. They're talking about big hydrogen projects and what have you. Andrew Forrest has entered the market. Um, The landscape seems to be changing quite quickly then. Yes, indeed, it is. And it has been, uh, I think, the Neowen uh, journey in Australia started uh, 10 years ago. In, in October last year, we've celebrated uh, the 10 years of Neowen in Australia. And it's been fantastic to celebrate that with, uh, with the team. And Neowen has been uh, growing since then. And I've been uh, privileged to join this team uh, four years ago. Um, and we see the, the competitive landscape changing again with big players uh, coming in this market as well. That's very true. I think it's because the, po- the, oh, the projects are getting bigger. They are also getting uh, more complex, uh, which is something uh, uh, interesting. We are, we are delivering uh, projects that are uh, even, uh, we, we are fond of projects. We, we, li- we love our projects. We, we, we love uh, delivering projects. We like innovative projects. And the fact that those projects now are, are getting uh, more challenging is, is, uh, is something, uh, is a good challenge for us. Uh, we have uh, strong uh, internal uh, resources, so that's, uh, we will try to keep uh, uh, yeah, defending our, our leadership position with uh, our skills and our agility and all the internal competences that we've uh, managed to, to grow over time. 
Yeah. I mean, you obviously, um, because you've been behind many of the big projects, both in storage, wind and solar, you've got really good insight into some of the costs and some of the developments there. I mean, obviously, spikes recently, hopefully calming down. You've also had a huge ins insight into the transmission issues and the connection problems in Australia. When we hear in Australia about this 82% renewable energy target, it's not an official target, but it's definitely a stated aim by the federal government and a scenario modelled by the Australian energy market operator. How confident are you that we're able to get there and, and to get there and to build the capacity that's required? What do we actually need to do? Well, first, let, let, me, uh, let me say that what's fascinating uh, here in Australia is the speed of the transition. I uh, think we are increasing over the last uh, five, six years uh, the renewable energy percentage by uh, or, or around 5% a year. And this uh, speed is absolutely massive. And, uh, and if you zoom in some areas of the grid, like where we, where we are especially present, like South Australia, uh, the, the level of uh, penetration of renewable energy, it's, uh, on average, it's above 70%. And there is a state target of 100% by 2030, which is very soon. And, and, and at, at this scale, to achieve 70% is already a, a kind of a world record. So um, I'm, I think we are confident that it is possible because we see it happening in, uh, in SA, for example, because we are building uh, also the solutions uh, that are necessary with, uh, with storage and not only storage to supply energy when, uh, when it's needed, but storage to help uh, uh, run the grid when uh, you have a high uh, renewable energy percentage and uh, and also because uh, there is this very uh, important uh, transmission uh, program ahead of us because when you, you think in your question you are asking what's needed uh, there are a number of things that exist uh, we have there a huge pipeline of projects I think what's needed is uh, and it's obvious but it's more transmission uh, transmission is is the key uh, we are moving from a system where there were uh, a few large, very large generators in uh, areas close to the coal mines to uh, more distributed generation and where uh, and big uh, wind farm and solar farms where uh, the wind and solar resources are and it's not the same as where the, the coal resources were so transmission is the key and uh, and it's it's pleasant to see that uh, uh, many transmission moving projects are, are moving forward. And I'm just I'm just wondering then if um, you can sort of comment about some of the costs. Um, there's obviously I think in 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 the uh, Neo N um, last um, financial results I think the observation was made that costs have gone up both in Australia and around the world. But you weren't too troubled about that um, because I think you're getting greater revenue from it because obviously um, wholesale electricity prices all went up. Can you just sort of tell us roughly where the costs of say wind, solar, and battery storage have gone? Have they risen from, I think you might have su suggested in the company presentation, from 30 to 50%, but now they're falling down. Do you expect them to get back to where they were and they continue the resumption of the, of, of, of the cost reductions? Um, where are we at at the moment? Yeah, it's true that we've seen an extremely volatile environment over the last uh, couple of years, starting with COVID and then uh, the war in Ukraine and uh, all the tensions on the energy markets and uh, this uh, high inflationary environment. Um, Today, it seems that the, the, the cost that we have seen uh, going uh, so high are, are kind of tipping and, uh, and there is a trend on some areas where it's already starting to, to go down and uh, we see, uh, and that's good news. Uh, it will take time to, to go through the, the supply chain, but uh, so that's good news. But I think w why we are confident is that 
uh, more fundamentally the Uh, the good projects, the projects that are uh, that are competitive, are, are remain and and, have, and are increasingly competitive. Actually, uh, a, a very strong wind or a very strong solar project uh, will be built, whatever the the, con the other the environment is, because it is the cheapest source of energy that you can uh, deliver uh, as of today. And uh, and since we will need to replace uh, coal, since there will be new uh, There is also a new demand for uh, green energy. Uh, we are confident those projects are going to, to be built. Uh, Louis, it's interesting to me because NEO in, you know, must be one of the world leaders in installing batteries and Australia is a huge part of the Neowin portfolio. I think, it, uh, as Giles mentioned, you have something like 800 megawatts with an average duration of about 200, two hours of Of, of battery storage and the and the durations is increasing and there are a lot of ways that this can be employed I, I think the question i'm trying to get to is that overall you look at each of your assets do you as as an individual asset or do you see the overall portfolio as something bigger than any individual asset no oh, thanks david uh, i think we definitely uh see uh, the, the portfolio of projects that we have as a, an overall portfolio. When we look at it uh, today, when I look at the Neon portfolio in Australia, we have a three gigawatt in operation or under construction. It's a very balanced portfolio. It's one gigawatt of solar, one gigawatt of wind, and one, nearly one gigawatt of storage. Uh, and, and we see uh, a lot of value in having uh, this portfolio all together. I think one uh, strong example is uh, the BHP uh, contract where we will supply with a goider and a, and a storage project Blaze in South Australia, half of the load of, uh, of the Olympic Dam uh, mine in South Australia. W when we are able to combine uh, several of our projects to deliver something that is uh, overall better, more efficient, closer to what the customer is, uh, is looking for, That's really what we are trying to achieve. We are a developer, but also a long-term operator. So for us, uh, the idea, the simple idea to be able to extract synergies from uh, existing projects is uh, extremely appealing. Uh, where we are able, like for in our Western Dam solar farm in Queensland, which is uh, an extremely competitive project, to add uh, a battery, a 200 megawatt battery that we have launched last year and to uh, Uh, benefit from the synergies of uh, the infrastructure of the connection that's also uh, a fantastic example and, and we are keen to do more and more and more of that yes it's very interesting to me uh, when i look at the situation from bhp's perspective uh, at that uh, roxby downs uh, mine contract in south australia for 70 megawatts where neowen is offering 70 a firm supply and firm price as i understand it to bhp in the end you don't have a, fi a fully firm supply you are exposed to uh, having to buy some energy and power from the market from time to time uh, have i said that correctly uh, yes uh, we have uh, we benefit from a very uh strong coverage uh, in this case because uh, the goider wind farm is uh, is an extremely competitive and with a very high capacity factor uh, the goider wind farm is uh, is a world class project uh, with a capacity factor above 45% uh, it's one of our 
best uh, project worldwide and I think it would compete easily with uh, many uh, projects of our competitors on a worldwide basis and, and so and based on that plus uh, a battery plus our uh, market capabilities we are able to, to provide this uh, base load product to, to BHP. And so I guess what I'm asking is uh, partly well firstly do you think you can offer more and bigger contracts of this fully firmed nature over the whole of the NEM or is that just a particular circumstance in South Australia? And I guess a kind of related question is, w when you think about that, do you think about your uh, position in other states when you offer a contract in South Australia that perhaps you might have to use some of your assets in Victoria or, or, or New South Wales to, to kind of provide some market coverage? I mean, it's a lot more than just a physical portfolio now, isn't it? It's a set of, it's a financial and physical portfolio. Yeah, and it's clearly something we want to do uh, to do more. Uh, I think the, this, uh, this contract is uh, the first of, we be hope, uh, of, of more projects, of more contracts, of more, uh, because it's, it's where we see the, our ability to deliver more value to our customers. Uh, but it requires some also some uh, a, a good combination of assets. Uh, we had this uh, right combination in South Australia. We think we will be able to get it uh, uh, at some point in other states, but it, it might come yeah, at different point of time, depending on uh, on the assets and the combination that we are able to to build. And uh, both Queensland and uh, New South Wales have ambitious. Uh, targets to build renewable energy and replace their coal assets. Uh, I'm just wondering, does, does either region, I mean, you have your own sort of uh, um, prospects in both states. Does either, either one appeal to you more than the other uh, at the moment? No, they are both <laughs> extremely uh, attractive. I, I think, uh, David, we have, uh, just to put things in perspective, we have, uh, so as I mentioned, we have three gigawatts. Uh, our target is to have five gigawatts in operation under, under construction by uh, 2025. So we want to grow by uh, 600, 700 megawatts per year. Uh, and we have a long-term goal of uh, 10 gigawatts by uh, 2030. Uh, to achieve this, uh, this growth target, that is, uh, we, we, we will, we will want to continue to grow uh, everywhere in the NEM. Uh, I think we had a, a great, uh, great experience and it started uh, earlier in New South Wales, but uh, very recently uh, strong successes and, and we are keen to do more in Queensland as well. Um, we have a pipeline of eight gigawatt of projects uh, all over the NEM. And, and really we, yeah, we, we, we don't have a, a preferred child. I think we, we had a, a love story with South Australia because it's where we started initially uh, with uh, the Arnsdale Wind Farms. Uh, and, uh, but we have been fortunate to be able to grow to New South Wales first, then to Victoria and to extend to, to Queensland. I think uh, each state has its own specificities. The resources are not the same, but we, we are confident. We know we have great projects in, uh, in all the states. I'll hand back to Giles in just a second, but I also noticed listening to the management presentation at the Neuen Global Day that in Europe and particularly in France, Neuen has sold down, you know, 20%, I think, up to of some of the projects. Uh, we haven't seen that in Australia at all so far. It always strikes me as that Neuen is a business that must look quite attractive and its assets to to other parties, I'm uh, just speaking as an ex-financial analyst, 
Uh, uh, do you think about s selling down any of the assets in Australia? No, that's not. Uh, or that's not part of the plan to, as of today. Huh? It might uh, happen uh, as uh, as we discussed earlier. I think we we are looking, you know, more and more at our, uh, at our assets at the, at the portfolio. Uh, we see uh, the merits of each of those assets in our portfolio, so it doesn't prevent us uh, from uh, from looking at uh, uh, at some uh, transaction of that sort. But uh, as of today, the, the priority is to continue to grow. Uh, we are extremely happy with the portfolio we have, uh, and we see as a, as a long-term uh, operator, there is a. Yeah, uh, the strategy is to to keep the, the, the majority of the assets. I'd like to sort of deep, um, in, dig deeper into the battery storage um, market. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that Neowins have been the most successful battery storage developer up to date. You've got the uh, the, the original Tesla big battery, which is now expanded and uh, officially known as the Hornsdale Power Reserve, the Victoria big battery, which remains the biggest in the country. Um, you've got the Bargana battery attached to a wind farm in Victoria. You're building the Capital battery, about to build the Blythe battery. Um, I think you're already st starting construction on the Western Downs battery. Um, first question, grid-forming inverters. Hornsdale Power Reserve, I understand, has completed its testing for grid-forming inverters. I, I'm, I'm fascinated to know, what have you learned from this? I mean, presumably the battery can actually do what it says in the packet. And why does it take so long to actually go through the whole sort of testing regime? Because I think, um, I think you got the funds for this battery a couple of years ago, but I'm not too sure whether are actually doing it in a market basis, but maybe it wasn't the plan to do that this quickly. Uh, it was implemented, uh, so the, this uh, grid forming capability has been implementing at Hansdale in July last year. And I want to thank uh, Arena, uh, the CFC, uh, Electranet and IMO for, for their support. Uh, it's, a, it's a massive change in the way you operate uh, a battery or any uh, generator. And to move from uh, grid following to grid forming is, uh, is a significant change of philosophy in the way you, you operate uh, your, uh, your, your generator. So it has required uh, extensive uh, text testing together with IEMO and Electranet and uh, almost... Uh, uh, almost a year because it was the first uh, battery to do that uh, worldwide at this scale. So that's not something to be uh, surprised of. I think since then uh, it has been operating uh, as it should, uh, which is great. And and but to to go a bit beyond what what it means is that when uh, a CEO of IMO uh, and I think it's it's great as 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 has created this target of uh, very very clear of. Uh, being able to run the network at 100% by 2025, and it's very soon. Um, we need uh, batteries and we need uh, the tools to be able to do that, and, uh, and, uh, and grid forming is one of those, uh, of those important tools. Mm. So we were uh, yeah, very happy to be also part of the solution uh, with all the teams, uh, and I want to, to give credit to all the NEO and teams, the connection, uh, connection team in particular, it's a highly technical field, and, uh, and to be able to deliver those kind of services with the battery and to contribute to, to be also an enabler of uh, reaching 100% uh, renewable on a, on a network of the size of South Australia is a, is a great source of pride for, uh, for all the teams.
And the grid forming inverters, I mean, you, you obviously, so you've demonstrated that that is capable, you're, you're capable of doing that. I, I think in, in technically the, the Hornsdale Power Reserve can, I can't quite remember what the number is now, is it 30 or 40% of the system's strength needs or South Australia? The inertia, yes. Uh, yes, or the inertia? The inertia okay. of uh, South Australia. Is that something you're getting paid for at the moment or is that market yet still to be developed or you've just merely just sort of shown that you can? No, um, it's not a market. It's in your, in your right to... There is a change happening, and, uh, and I think there is a uh, work uh, around uh, the, the market uh, design and how it should change. But uh, I want to, I think, to thank in this case uh, Arena. Uh, Arena has, has enabled us to to do th this works and to implement uh, such a solution. And uh, it's funny because uh, Arena and CFC, uh, we have uh, and, and and us, we have uh, we have ten years, uh, and and we started. Uh, our journey 10 years ago uh, on, on, uh, on some difficult projects and uh, and it's quite uh, quite impressive to see you know the, the type of uh, results that we have been able to, to deliver together on, uh, on some of those projects mm. and, and just on the battery storage um, also I, I noticed in the Tesla presentation I think it was um, um, it was a presentation to transgrid about the system strength um, requirements in New South Wales, which is going to become increasingly important as the coal generators um, leave the grid, and we're seeing Liddell obviously leave the grid this week. Um, fascinating graph there, just showing the value stack of batteries. And I, I think we've all known, or sort of most of us have known, that batteries actually have a value stack, and they can do not just one or two things, it's going to be about 10, 15, or even 20 things. And I think the Tesla observation was that the amount of money that they're actually getting for the different services is, is increasing, or sorry, the number of services is increasing, I'm not too sure about the revenue. What are you seeing there because you've got a whole bunch of different batteries and I think they're playing in different markets I mean is that I mean the transition say from the original Tesla big battery and what it was required to do and what it could do to what you're able to do with the new batteries now and the different markets that you can um, that, that, that you can play in no, it's true that we, we love uh, battery projects uh, we love battery because we, we can do a lot of things with them uh, and because they make a lot of sense uh, with our uh, st investment story of being both uh, a developer and a long-term operator because there is value you can extract over the long term because if you are also the, the, asset, uh, the asset manager, if you are also the owner of those assets, you, you can do things afterwards and, uh, and that's, that's extremely important to us. Uh, but to come to, to, your, to your point, I think... Yeah, a, a bat any battery project has to be uh, studied in, in a lot of details. There is no, uh, we always need to make a, a battery project work to, to stack up a number of different uh, revenue streams. Uh, all our battery projects are different. Uh, they all have their own uh, rationale. I, I'm extremely careful about uh, the, the, their robustness. Uh, we are uh, very selective. Uh, we pay attention to uh, making sure that we have uh, different sources of revenues. Uh, a number of those sources of revenue today are extremely shallow. The FCAS revenue is a, has been a large part of the revenues in the case of Hansdale for, uh, for a while. And then uh, the FCAS market is, is very small. And, and we see a lot of batteries coming, which is good and, and necessary for the energy transition. So we are extremely uh, mindful when we, we develop and uh, do a, a battery project to make sure that... Uh, we have uh, at least uh, a few different revenue streams in mind and uh, and also with the idea that we will be able to co-optimize our existing assets with those battery assets so that's uh, that's really the way we look at it when we we consider battery projects
Louis, it, it's interesting to me. Uh, I've held Neo and up as a bit of a model sometimes as because you are the operator. I mean, a lot of the people that go into this business, it seems to me, just want to develop one project or even two projects, but operating them is not really something they see as adding value. It's just a cost of doing the business. Whereas it seems to me that particularly when you add the batteries in and as the portfolio gets bigger, there's these incremental margins that you can earn, you know, some new revenue streams, but even it might just be taking a better asset management system and cutting the cost of running a wind farm down by, you know, a little bit each year. And I see that Neowen has a team of 11 people st globally studying markets and doing various things. How do you feel about Neowen's capabilities and its you know, ability to add value and to develop these skills? And, and, and how has that changed over the past few years? We've been uh, through this journey and, uh, and today when I look back to what we were 10 years ago, what we were uh, four or five years ago, it's, uh, it's quite impressive. The fact that we have this uh, long-term uh, and we are the operator and the asset manager of the assets had, has allowed us to, uh, to now have a, a team of, uh, an amazing team of 83 people. Uh, we have uh, our own uh, operation control center where we, uh, we follow our assets on a 24-hour basis. Uh, we have developed our own uh, capabilities to try to optimize uh, our assets or batteries to have uh, our own algorithm to, to follow those assets and to implement to improve them in the best possible way we can. So that's that's all of that and all this work that is very much hidden and not visible and not the, the one that are have the best uh, the most light <laughs> on them are, uh, is, is bringing a lot of return of experience on, uh, on the way we develop projects and why we won't develop one project versus another. So that's, that's really uh, an important part, I think, of the, of the success is having all those people working together. Our, our construction team is, uh, is, uh, has built uh, no, almost three gigawatts. Uh, that's, that's amazing. Uh, so they faced a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties. So when we we decide to build a project and, and to be competitive, you need to take risk at some point. Uh, it's extremely uh, valuable to have this amount of expertise in-house, people to understand what's what's feasible and what's just not feasible, what we and why we want to do it. Why, why we, so when we all uh, consider that we have a good project, a project that's worth uh, fighting for, we are we are really uh, quite determined, and that's that's a, a strong part of uh, of this. Uh, teamwork and all the competences that we've been, been able to grow over the years. Yes, I, I, I personally think it's the way to go, as, as I've said. And then I'll just look at the current state of markets, and we've talked about costs going up, but with the, it seems to me that the demand for projects and the scale of what's going on in Victoria and in New South Wales and in Queensland that we're moving beyond 200 megawatt projects up to you know 501 gigawatt projects and I guess that takes quite a long time doesn't it to develop a wind farm so that the value of uh, you know projects that are partly developed must be going up quite a lot as we probably saw with the CWP uh, acquisition how, do you, how are you thinking about the, those market the market for undeveloped projects now uh, so we have a port portfolio, a pipeline of eight, uh, eight gigawatt. Uh, those projects are, uh, are uh, yeah, we have, uh, we want, 
uh, are quite uh, they are old they are they are made they are, they are I think they are fantastic what, what's what's fascinating is when we I met uh, uh, some potential of takers some potential customers and they talk to me about their uh, their potential electrification needs uh, with the pressure they see on on their gas or diesel cost uh, we see and I'm not even talking about hydrogen but uh, in Australia uh, in some parts of Australia and some the, the potential growth grows, uh, growing demand in a in a, in a very uh, significant manner so that's extremely encouraging so we, we continue to to develop uh, projects uh, we continue to to take the time to do it to to engage uh, very early because we we do that from the very very early stage uh, and i think one of the advantage that we have is that we are able to when we engage with the community is to be able to uh, for them to to visit some of the sites that we've been operating now for five uh, four or seven years uh, so they they understand that we are here for the long term and what we want to do and what we want to do with them and we try to build with them something that works so um, th yeah there is a lot of value there uh, uh, it's but it's true as well that the projects are getting more complex uh, the projects that were easy to build easy to connect have been built uh, in the very early years so now we are looking at projects that have a, a much bigger size, a higher level of complexity. So we we are uh, trying to cope with that by uh, increasing our, our skills in, uh, and that's been something that we've, we've done. But we also need, uh, I think, and that's, I'll come back to, to my point further, I think uh, we, we need more transmission. Uh, some of those projects will only happen with, uh, with new transmission. So that's something we fully support. And so I'll hand back to Giles again and question, but I mean, it seems to me overall in Australia, there's been a slowdown in the announcement of new projects reaching final investment decision uh, this calendar year so far. I know the New South Wales roadmaps are sort of sitting out there, but uh, do you foresee, uh, let me ask a stupid question, Neewen been able to uh, make any further announcements this year? Oh, <laughs> I can't make any <laughs> disclose anything. I think we are still uh, very much committed to uh, to our target of, of growth. Uh, I think in many instances we are not limited by the demand, but we are just limited by the time it takes to to, to for projects to be ready. I, I won't be able to speak very much about uh, what's happening with with our with the competition. Uh, Overall, I, I still am extremely confident when I see the level of effort that we put, and I know that some other, uh, of course, some competitors are doing also a good job, and, and they are developing some extremely good projects. So uh, I think there there are ups and downs. It's not uh, very uh, this world of development of uh, those large projects. It's not because they are getting bigger as well. It's not. Uh, uh, just linear and, uh, and and simple. There are ups and downs, but yeah, I'm, I'm still very very confident uh, that uh, those Thanks. projects will 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 come to life. I'd just like to tease out, and you might not be able to talk too much about them because they're sort of projects in the pipeline. But you've um, you've sought approval for a very very big battery in Western Australia. I can't quite remember the size of it now, but I think it might be up to sort of two gigawatt hours. Um, can you what can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's the Coli battery. It's been uh, approved for up to one gigawatt. Uh, we've set up uh, an office in uh, in WA and a development team, and we've uh, started to grow the team there uh, a year and a half ago. 
uh, almost two years now. Uh, we we have this batch. We are looking at battery projects. We are lo looking at wind projects. I think WA is one part of the network where we would be. Uh, keen to do uh, good projects. I think the the demand is is going to grow. We've I've had and uh, something I, I mentioned a number of discussions with potential of takers, confirming that uh, they are on their journey towards the net zero. So uh, there is uh, a need to electrify a number of activities. So I'm quite confident that there will be a demand uh, growing in, in this area. Uh, but it's also quite fascinating because when we look at uh, the way the system works in, in South Australia and what we've been able to do there, I think there is a lot of things we could uh, we could transfer and uh, some of the expertise that we've gained in, in South Australia that we would be uh, happy to transfer and to bring to WA. Uh, there are some similarities. So that's something we, we are keen to do. So that it, it takes a while. We need the right project. We need the right opportunity. But mm. we are actively working on it. Uh, that that uh, collie battery just sounds very big for the size of that grid. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I uh, I agree with you, Jace. I, I I don't think, unfortunately, we won't be able to to build it in one go. I'd love to do that, uh, a one gigawatt battery, but that's uh, uh, more likely to be built in stage. Okay, um, going back to South Australia, then uh, you mentioned Gorda South, uh, four hundred and twelve megawatts first stage, um, half of it I think to the ACT contract, another half to the Olympic Dam contract. Um, Gorda South, the original plan I think was for it to be an absolutely massive project. I think at one stage, or it may still be the, the yeah, the it was permitted for one point two gigawatt of uh, of wind, mm -hmm. uh, so it's uh, plus an additional uh, six hundred megawatt of solar and a battery of six hundred megawatt. Uh, so out of that, we've uh, we've started with a, a 412 megawatt wind farm and uh, the 200 megawatt Blaze battery. Um, but yeah, we are we are looking now at starting to look at the, the next stage. Uh, while a, a project is is under construction, it's always a, a bit more challenging to already uh, uh, start uh, mm. uh, being too uh, looking too much in details at. Uh, at the next stage, but uh, that's something we are already uh, looking at. As I, as I mentioned, uh, Goider is a, is a fantastic project. Uh, the the resource there is just uh, fantastic, uh, with the project uh, Energy Connect uh, coming into life and being uh, built, and which is great. We will be able to export uh, a lot of this great energy to to New South Wales. So that's really something we are looking forward to. Mm, and, and then would it mostly be grid demand for for a project of that scale, or would you also looking at the hydrogen uh, potential hydrogen economy? Uh, the uh, project is uh, is so big that uh, we we are also looking at uh, hydrogen. Uh, it's uh, and, and we've we've made the decision on the hydrogen uh, topic to to focus on on this one project because we believe it's if it's going to happen for an AON, uh, first it's not probably going to happen. Uh, immediately, but when it will happen, it could happen with a project like Goider because Goider has uh, the best uh, fundamentals of in, in our portfolio. So we are uh, we have uh, we are we have set up an, an MOU with the Japanese energy company uh, Eneos, and we are work, working with them, and we are progressing a feasibility study to see what we could do with uh, a, a project, a monster project like like Goider. So that, and that's extremely interesting, but it, it will still require some work. Well, the last question from me, I suppose, is just about the wind supply thing. I've heard a number of concerns that, particularly with the Inflation Reduction Act in, in, in the United States and also uh, Fit for 55 in Europe, that 
Australia may actually struggle to get uh, the wind turbines and things that it needs. And uh, of course, the wind turbine manufacturers are all European and want to become more profitable than they have been historically. Uh, do you, how do you feel about the uh, wind supply chain? I, I, I think it's extremely, uh, of course, extremely important to the, the, the success of the transition. I think, as I mentioned, and good projects will 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 get built, uh, so that's not uh, so much a concern. But if we want to do it efficiently, maybe one point of attention is that, uh, and because I've I've been now uh, four years in Australia, which is not a lot, but what I've I've seen sometimes is that uh, those big uh, OEMs uh, uh, they don't necessarily. Uh, put the effort to, uh, that is necessary to serve the Australian market, uh, maybe because they, they simplify and they think that it would be, uh, it's going to be similar to what they do in Europe or they can do in the US or in the other part of the world. But the Australian market has his, some specificities. Uh, obviously, the geography is different. Uh, the projects are, are bigger. Uh, the electric the grid is, is different. Uh, and it's important and that's something where I think the, the government and the different institutions can help is to make sure that uh, those uh, critical uh, OEMs uh, are supported when they, they, they make the effort to, uh, to build the skills and the competences to, to, to bring their, their products to the Australian market. That's something uh, extremely important. Thank you. I'm, I'm just actually just, just a follow up question to that. What, what, sort of th what sort of support might you suggest? Um... I don't know. Uh, frankly, you are a bit going be beyond my uh, my own area of expertise. Just uh, an observation that I have made that uh, uh, to to be able to uh, to to offer uh, their products to uh, for the Australian market, uh, some of these OEMs they need to to set uh, 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 some uh, dedicated resources. Uh, the Australian market is uh, an interesting one, but it's not the biggest. Uh, so. Yeah, there is uh, probably something to, to think about uh, what would work well to make sure uh, there is, uh, in, for each technology, uh, in, uh, enough uh, suppliers interested to, to work and to continue to work and to make sure that the standards, uh, if they need to be specific, they need to be specific, but are also uh, not too far away when, when it's possible from the, the standards that can exist in other geographies to benefit from the economies of scale. Uh, all this uh, that is all this in massive R&D effort that is happening uh, worldwide. Uh, I think it's important that Australia stays close to what's happening uh, elsewhere, so that uh, Australia is benefiting as well from uh, from all these all, all those efforts that are happening elsewhere in the world. Mm. And just one last question for me, just getting back to battery storage. Another thing that you mentioned in your sort of global market state was the increased length of storage now, particularly in the battery market in Australia, moving on from, say, two hours. And you're now, I think, you're going to have an average of up to about three hours. I'm not too sure if that's quite right. But certainly what you're looking at then is the development of the arbitrage market and sort of shifting wind and solar to, to, to different parts of the day when the demand is higher. So can maybe just sort of talk briefly about that. And, and how long can batteries go? I mean, you obviously know batteries really reasonably well, um, you know, the Australian market reasonably well. I mean, is four hours going to be the maximum? Could it go to six hours? Could it go more? Um, bit of a prediction for the future, but I'm just wondering what your observations are. No, I think we, we have the conviction that, <laughs> and that's uh, how far we can we can see that the duration is going to, uh, to extend. Uh, we think the days of the one hour uh, or even less uh, batteries are, are over. 
that uh, the the value stack that was coming from this short duration is uh, is probably uh, going to reduce a lot. So that's why we have a, a strong bias toward uh, towards longer duration. Uh, we think uh, over time the value will move towards this is longer duration. Uh, the challenge is that as of today, when you look at it. Uh, With the figures of today, there is no investment signal for uh, for batteries uh, beyond two hours. There is uh, not much uh, that would uh, reward uh, longer duration. Uh, but this is where the need is going to be. Uh, in the US, it's uh, it's often four hours battery. Uh, but they get the tax credit there. Yeah, they, they, there are other uh, schemes that make it possible. Uh, we think from a pure system point of view, It would make sense to have batteries uh, of a longer duration. And today, the investment signal does not uh, completely exist. Or it's, just just uh, on that investment signal, yeah. I mean, I, I have long thought that uh, batteries in Australia should be able to get, uh, you know, renewable energy certificates uh, because in the end, if we wait till the investment signal, we won't get it until the coal plant's closed uh, when we really need to build new supply in front of the old thing. That's the perpetual challenge. And one way of doing it is to make the new technology uh, cheap enough uh, via subsidies, frankly, or to, 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 to get it done, uh, don't you think? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think it's important. And I think it's particularly important for this uh, longer duration part uh because the, the maybe the short term duration i think it's going to be uh it's probably going to be addressed relatively soon but the longer duration uh anything above uh, two hours and uh, uh so for between two uh, two hours up to four hours is, is something that starts to be uh something we we could think about and uh, and then the next stage would be uh beyond four hours Uh, and that we'll see. Uh, I think the, the technology is also is also changing rapidly in this field of uh, of batteries. Uh, I, I don't know where we will stand uh, uh, in two three years, but uh, as of today, uh, yeah, looking at slightly longer duration is really something we are we are keen to do. And I hope we will be able to to move forward with uh, a couple of projects with a longer duration in 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 the near future. Mm. Oh, very good. Well, look, uh, Louis, uh, thank you very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. Uh, we do appreciate the time that you've given us and, um, and your very valuable insights and um, good luck with um, your current and future projects. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, David. And that's it for part one of this podcast. We'll be back in a minute with uh, part two and a wrap up of the news. Welcome back to part two of the Energy Insiders podcast. I should actually back announce um, our interviewee uh, just a moment ago for Louis de Samboussi from uh, the Managing Director of NeoN Australia. Uh, you're back with Giles Parkinson from Renew Economy and David Leach from ITK. David, um, interesting stuff from Louis. Um, the interview came on the same day as the uh, AGL started up. It's uh, finally started up. It's Torrens Island battery, which is actually going to be bigger than the Hornsdale Power Reserve in South Australia. So we'll take the title of the biggest battery in that state and we'll have grid forming um, inverters. Um, and at the same time as uh, AGL sort of closed the, uh, another of its units at Liddell, just one more unit to go, which will happen on Friday. 
Um, but the power prices are not really reacting. They're, they're going downhill, but probably from a very high point. Yeah, that's right. So year-on-year power prices are down 30 or 40% spot market, but I mean, that's, uh, they're still higher than we would have expected a couple of years ago, but they're not reacting that badly, I suppose, to the Liddell closure. And uh, it's great. I mean, everything's getting bigger. That's the general point to make. It's not, become, it's not a market for pioneers anymore, this market. It's a market for big, long-term established players. We're not talking about it, uh, 10 megawatts or 100 megawatts. As a general statement, we're talking about 500,000 megawatts like Neowin in total might have its Hornsdale, the AGL battery might be bigger than Hornsdale, but, but Neowin's, you know, developed or in building 800 megawatts of batteries, you know, and that's far from the end of it. You know, there's going to be a lot more built in Australia as we go forward. So, yeah, the thing is, what's your, what's your asset portfolio look like? Have you got some wind farms ready to be developed or sold to, as PPAs? What's the, what, you know, from AEMO's perspective, what's the transmission infrastructure looking like? I mean, uh, I see AEMOs come out and, and um, uh, criticised, basically, uh, the Bruce Mountain uh, uh, position that no new transmission is needed anywhere in Australia. You know, um, uh, uh, Marinus Link is a stupid idea, Hume Link is a stupid idea, V&I West is going to, you know, make Victoria have a blackout or something of that nature. I mean, I'm, I'm parodying it a little bit. But I think uh, it's important that we get on with the transmission. It's great that people like Bruce are, are, are writing th these things so that they can be there and we can see what that side of the argument looks like and then hopefully get on with uh, actually getting it done. Yeah, look, I think there's a fair case to be made about whether things are the most efficient um, um, investments. And I'm looking forward to what um, Bruce um, and Simon Bartlett, um, former head of PowerLink in, in Queensland, so someone who knows a bit about transmission, say about what would, might be a sensible and possibly cheaper and even quicker alternative, because I think um, that's equally important when you're thinking about the scale and the cost and the time taken for these transmission projects. But uh, we might leave that one for another day. Um, just a few other observations around the place, David. Um, 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 what do we have? We got a little solar farm at um, the Bell. Oh, sorry, a little solar farm, a little fire at a solar farm in Western New South Wales. Um, might um, make a few interesting observations. I think we might hear from the from the solar farm um, operator um, and manager about sort of managing grass, particularly in the dry periods, of heading into El Nino. So um, that was interesting. And um, in the Northern Territory, um, they've had three solar farms. They're not big ones. They're 15, 10, 15, 25 megawatt solar farms. Four of them have actually been built. Um, they were built three years ago and they still haven't been connected. Um, mainly because of these rather sort of um, what some describe as quite ludicrous and archaic rules about them being required to sort of give firm dispatch forecasts five and minutes and 30 minutes in advance, which they find sort of impossible to meet. Um, it's quite a ridiculous situation. Um, they now ask for a consultant to come and do some modelling to see if they really can be connected to the grid. That's not going to happen for another at least a year while he does, or nine months while he does the, he, he or she does the report. Um, so it just sort of goes to show that um, not all things move very smoothly uh, within the Australian grid. I mean, uh, the Northern Territory grid is quite a unique one. It's broken up into three small grids. Um, they run it themselves up there. Um, it seems that the network operator seems to be the regulator at the same time. Um, and it's fascinating to see that this is in the same territory as people like Andrew Forrest and Mike Cannon-Brooks want, Cannon want to build a 20-gigawatt solar farm. So um, <laughs> that, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not really too sure what's going on up there or why, uh, but the case is that um, not much is going on. Yeah, and I was interested, Giles, uh, I'm interested in two things. I'm interested in when uh, New South Wales government's finally going to announce the winners of the uh, first uh, gigawatts worth of 
renewable energy to, to go into the Irana zone because I've been waiting for that for a long, long time, years now it seems. And the second thing I would like to draw our listeners' attention to is the just announced uh, European uh, provision that aviation fuels uh, are going to have, for planes leaving from European airports, are going to have to have some uh, zero low carbon e fuel in them. It starts at 1 or 2%. I think it builds up to 6% by 2030 and then has much higher um, targets as time goes on. So even these uh, difficult, uh, hard to decarbonise transport around the world is 20, 25% of it uh, is responsible for 25% of the world's carbon emissions. And so it's good to get some um, uh, moves on in these hard to abate sectors as well as things like steel. And even more exciting, uh, the Chinese battery maker Cattle um, said last week that it developed a battery with an energy intensity of 500 watt hours per kilo, which is about twice what had been thought was possible. Reckons this is ready to get into production um, this year. That remains to be seen. But if they are right, and if they do get into production, that has potential to change many, many things, not just long distance road transport, but also electric aviation, possibly allowing planes with the same weight of batteries to fly three times the distance that was thought possible otherwise. So if that turns out to be true, um, really interesting breakthrough there. And we've got a couple of stories on our EV Focus site, the Driven, including one from Adam, Adam Twidell, um, brother of um, someone who's um, very well known in the Australian energy industry, uh, Mark Twidell, who's um, into electric aviation. He gives some really interesting insight into that. So urge people to read that. And that's about it from us uh, this week, Giles, isn't it? Yeah. I think I think it is, David. Thank you very much. Thank you to Louis de Sambusi from NeoN. Um, thanks, of course, to everyone out there listening to the podcast and for your feedback. Thanks, of course, to our sponsors, Pylon and Evergen. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen Software is powering the energy system of the future. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use, solid-design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals.